0: Hey, this is Dan Quiggle with episode 28 of Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies Podcast. In this episode, you'll meet Joanne Curry, co-owner of Splash Cafe, grew a one-location cafe into three locations, an artisan bakery, full-service catering, and now sells their renowned clam chowder to Costco. In a volatile industry, food services, Hear how Joanne builds a company culture around exceeding people's expectations every time. That's really the biggest
1: thing for me, is people who understand how to set a goal and that they don't have to be gigantic goals, but actually it's better to have small goals because if all your goals are gigantic ones, you're not going to achieve them very often. It's much better to have smaller goals so that you can get that sense of achievement. And that's really such a self-esteem strengthener to feel like, oh, I did this, and then I did this. That's what I look for in people.
0: So imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, then getting to choose from that group. That's what my show is about, learning from the best, how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and communities. Hi, I'm Dan Quiggle, and welcome to the Garage to Goliath Leaders Building Legacies podcast, where we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. On this episode of Garage to Goliath, my guest is Joanne Curry. Joanne is the co-owner, with her husband Ross, of Splash Cafe. In 1991, they purchased Splash Cafe in Pismo Beach, California, and have grown since to three locations, a full-service catering business, an artisan bakery, and have created a renowned and coveted clam chowder recipe that people flock to Splash Cafe to enjoy, and that is also sold in Costco's throughout Southern California and the Central Valley. Joanne and her Splash Cafe team went from selling 5,000 gallons of clam chowder a year to over 40,000 gallons. But before we really dig deep into Splash Cafe, because I'm really fascinated by how you deliberately lead and care for the company culture in the restaurant industry, Joanne, will you first tell my listeners a little bit about your life leading up to Splash Cafe? Where did you grow up? How did you make it to Pismo Beach?
1: Well, um, I grew up in Vermilion, South Dakota which is in the uh, most southeastern corner of South Dakota, where Iowa and Nebraska and South Dakota intersect. And I was um, raised there by uh, parents that were both academians, and um, so learning was a very important uh, part of my life. I went to college at the University of Maryland, and I got my degree in accounting, always with the idea that I would um, go into business. So business was always part of my life plan. I didn't necessarily know which direction that would take me, but um, but the restaurant business always called out for it to me.
0: So first of all, I knew you were a good person. I mean, come on, South Dakota— My relatives are, I have relatives in North Dakota. My mom was from Minnesota. My dad is from North Dakota. I have relatives in South Dakota also. Um, So, you know, what a great American coming from the Midwest. And then a Terp, my wife's family is from the D.C. area, so very familiar with Maryland. So lots of cross sections here in our lives. But so, you you know, you talked about always wanting to go into business. And I saw this video clip of you when you were young, talking about how when you were first, you know, six years old, you wanted to start your own business. Tell me about that.
1: Well, I just, um, I don't really know what what it was about it that drew me so um, closely to wanting to interconnect with people on that kind of level. So um, I was always looking for things to sell. I was always like making uh, lemonade stands and putting stuff out on the street and trying to get the neighbors to buy things from me. I wasn't raised with uh, an allowance. And so... That was also part of the um, program, and so I would go around door-to-door and sell Christmas cards, birthday cards, all sorts of things. I'd show whoever it was I was talking to what I was uh, trying to get, you know, like if I was trying to earn enough money to buy a camera one time, I went around to all the neighbors and said, hey, I need to buy this camera, you know, would you buy these Christmas cards?
0: (laughs) So you set a goal, you you get an end result, and you tried to achieve it. That's great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the way I've always structured um, my life and, and how I try to structure the people who
0: work around me. So let me ask you, because, okay, those were fun businesses growing up, but did you have any other formal businesses before purchasing Splash Cafe?
1: No, I was always managing other people's businesses. So I grew several businesses for other people um, before my husband and I bought Splash.
0: And what industries were those?
1: Primarily in the restaurant industry.
0: Oh, so you were in yeah. the restaurant industry.
1: Yeah, I had worked through high school, um, you know, waiting tables. And then when I was in college, I cocktail, you know, I was a cocktail server and, um, and a waitress. And then I got into some management. I lived in Boulder, Colorado for a while before I got out here to California. And, um, and so while I was there, I actually had a little accounting business uh, that I lucked into. And, um, and then through that, I was doing the accounting for a small restaurant. And then I started his catering business. And uh, and then I sold my accounting business, and uh, and I took on uh, the management of his restaurant, and did that until I moved out here.
0: So you not only knew the, the the front side of the of the restaurant industry, but the back side of the business.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and at that location in in uh, Colorado, one of when I took on the general management position we did a system of training where I spent a week in each position. So I washed dishes for a week. I worked in the kitchen for a week. um, You know, I served for a week before I started actually managing. So that was a great learning experience.
0: So, you know, I always tell people that I think you need to work in the restaurant industry at some point in your life because you realize that there are two types of people. There are happy people and there are people that will never be happy. And so you get to meet (laughs) them all when you're waiting tables and bussing tables and everything. That was a, a big part of my life growing up as well. So when when you first bought Splash Cafe, what did you envision for your business?
1: Well, honestly, we envisioned a, a business where, like a small mom and pop, where we'd be surfing every morning. And, and in fact, the first year, that is what we did. So we would go in in the morning, we would put the chowder on, get everything kind of set up and turn the chowder real low and put on our, our uh, wetsuits and get into the water and go surfing and have a great time for about an hour, hour and a half. And then we'd head back and clean up and turn everything back up again and get ready to open. So we kind of visualized that. <laughs> and um, and then after a year of that, and we had 100% growth actually for the first seven years. So even after the first year, that, that became... Um, pretty impossible to actually break away and, um, and go surfing. So we just decided to just, um, roll the ball, you know, just keep, uh, just keep growing and, um, and expanding. And we expanded the location when we first bought the business, it only had 15 seats and the back half of the building was a two bedroom apartment. So then we rented the whole place and we completely gutted it and rebuilt it. And so that it has like 65 seats and, um, just kind of went on from there.
0: So, were there things that you did early on deliberately to help build the company culture?
1: Well, yes, so initially, we would, a lot of times we would um read the newspapers for for uh, students that were really high achievers. And so, like if somebody was in the paper because they won a debate tournament or something like that, we would send them a letter congratulating them and offering them a position. And so we tried to glean uh, local students who were high achievers um, and, uh, and bring them into our business. And then we, and then when we had those kind of that base, then we would start, we started kind of hiring friends of theirs to develop this really strong team. And, uh, and so that's, we were always about, um, about the team and supporting them in what they were doing at school. And, um, and then just doing fun outings and things like that. So we would, you know, a couple of times a year we would close and we'd all go down to the lake and have a great time and go kayaking and have a big barbecue and things like that.
0: So how smart is that to look and find, you know, really good people who are making an impact, not necessarily in the restaurant business, and then to bring them and make them part of your culture? How many people fit into that category? I mean, are the majority of your employees hired that way through through those people and friends?
1: Not as much anymore, just um, because well the whole tenor of school has changed so much in the last thirty you know thirty years. having a job in high school used to be like a really important thing, and nowadays it 's a little bit different it 's so competitive to get into the good colleges that the students have to have you know four point plus plus they have to have all the community service and things like that so a lot of the in sports a lot of the parents kind of shy away a little bit from it. So it's um, a little more challenging to get the real high achievers uh, today, but we still strive definitely for that. Um, always asking them, you know, what kind of what, what are your interests? What are you taking? What kind of classes are you taking in school? Because um, I really like the um, the students that are that have goals of their own, you know, and education is a big part of that.
0: There's a great saying: If you want something done, ask a busy person. Because typically right. they're gonna they're gonna be able to fit it in. They're gonna get it done. So, so moving forward, do you have specific values or guiding principles? Do you subscribe to a certain strategy to work, you know, on and, and build your business?
1: Well, I think my primary strategy is really to try to always be looking ahead and looking for ways to grow and setting achievable goals. And that's what I try to talk to the staff about is. Um, you know, even if the restaurant business isn't their, you know, their career, that um, that you learn life lessons here. And the life lessons you learn are about setting goals and and rewarding yourself when you achieve them. And if you don't set any goals, you'll never go anywhere. And why do you want to waste your time? You never know what's going to happen next. You know, you need to cherish every moment and, um, and really work on yourself. And so, so that's, pr- That's really the strategy that I use in keeping people motivated and um, and achieving things for the business too. So when we started the catering business, I started doing um, you know did all the work and all the community outreach about that for the first couple years and had a couple people on my staff working with me and then they came to me and they said you know we'd really like to take this ball and run with it. Could would you let us do that? And that was you know like five years ago, and now you know they've tripled the business in terms of the catering. And um, in fact, I have a meeting with them after this, where we're going to go over next year's menu. But we're, we book out a year, a year and a half in advance for weddings and things like that now. And it's all because of them. They saw an opportunity, and uh, they created a goal, and, uh, and then I support the goal.
0: So was that hard to kind of empower them? I mean, they asked pretty much to take over the reins. And a lot of CEOs, a lot of leaders are hesitant to give that up. I mean, was that a tough decision for you?
1: Not in that case. It really wasn't. I really I uh, just thought it was a great idea. I knew the catering business because I had worked a catering business before. And so I knew that I could help guide them just with regular meetings and just watching what they're doing and help them plan menus and, and things like that. And we worked together for at least a, you know a year or so. But um, they do a great job. So it's wonderful.
0: So so I've actually listened to some of your interviews and read some some things about you and, and you talk about meeting and exceeding people's expectations on every level. So what does that mean and look like for you in practical application?
1: Well, I just always look for ways to impact people and um, and in terms of the restaurant itself, I you know, it's a, it's a casual service restaurant so people order at the register then they sit down and we bring the food out to their table. So what I like to tell the servers and the way I like the customers to feel is when they leave, that, that they're, they don't even remember that they were at the register paying up front, that they leave feeling like they were served, you know, that it was a full service kind of restaurant and that they are talking about how great everything was. So
0: yeah, so that matters, way to doesn't impact it? Impact
1: people and, and take those grumpy people you were talking about earlier, <laughs> you know, and make them, uh, make them happy and make them smile and, um, and having a positive influence.
0: And so is there any specific training that you do for those people to get them so that they're in that mindset, the, the employees?
1: We do a lot of team building activities, and uh, and we even do some role playing uh, periodically. If, especially if somebody's feeling uh, uncertain about how to handle certain kinds of situations, we'll we'll set aside some time to do some role playing so that they can learn the language, you know, of how to diffuse situations or how to make somebody help somebody make a decision or or whatever. Because once you learn, once you kind of get the idea of what kind of language to use, then then you're not flustered when you're trying to, you know, deal with the situation or talk to the person. And most of our staff are all very young people. They're college students and high school students. And so they haven't been in those kinds of situations before.
0: Well, I, you know, I know that it's hard because there's such turnover because, you know, typically they're not going to work in that job for their entire life. So you have to deal with that as part of the culture. And I love that you're training them to role play and everything else. And, and I know that you said you had this incredible growth for those first seven years. Did you say 100% growth each year?
1: Yeah, 100% for
0: seven years. Yeah, I mean that's that's mind-boggling. And, and the is. restaurant industry is not easy. I mean that's – I think most restaurants fail. And so I guess talk to me about those first seven years of Flash Cafe. Were those years difficult? Why? You know, what was going on during that time?
1: Well, the difficult part was trying to keep up, you know, just even with uh, inventory, even with, you know, food, how much chowder to cook, how many servers to have on, how many bread bowls to bake, um, because you kept thinking, oh, okay, so we'll grow a little, we'll be a little bit busier this weekend than we were last year, and instead we'd be twice as busy. So there were even, I remember one President's Day weekend where we closed on the Sunday, we put a sign out on the door and we were like, we're out of everything, sorry, we'll be open tomorrow because we had to wait for the you know the deliveries to come in we had already been to Spartan finals 15 times over the weekend so just trying to understand how that how that growth was impacting everything and just having enough people there and and keeping the spirits up you know and we'd get you know nobody could even take breaks back then we would just have a big jar of candy. You know, if anybody started getting tired, here, eat some candy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're just trying to keep it all together. See, I I love that. And by the way, this is, this is a great problem to have as a business owner, but it's also still a major problem. Like you can't shut your doors. You don't want to do that, especially when you have people banging down the doors to try to get your food and, and to reward you for the quality service that you're giving. So, you know, and you, you said during those first seven years that you and Ross worked together seven days a week, 23 hours a day. Um, I know that some of my listeners who are business partners with their spouse it's not easy, and so how did you make that dynamic work in the relationship?
1: I think we had clear clear parts of the business that we really took care of ourselves, so Ross was very much into um, you know supportive more of a supportive role, making sure all the equipment was working properly, making sure everything in the back of the house was ready to go and um and helping the cooks and the busers and and that was and then I took care of kind of the business end and the front of the house and kind of making sure the spirit of the business was what I visualized and um, and so we worked very we would just communicated a lot about what the needs were and um, and then we supported each other in our roles and so we'd never competed for the same role like Ross would have never you know tried to tell me, oh, no, you'd need to you know handle this or that in this other way. You know, he just never would have stepped on my toes that way. And so I never stepped on his either. We just worked our own side of the business.
0: So everyone had their roles and you were and you were acting it out and making sure it was it was moving forward. So what are some of the things that you did that really enhanced your relationship as as business partners?
1: Well, I think we just really enjoyed being there together. Um, we were newlyweds. We uh, we took a lot of joy in all of the people who were, were coming in, of the success that we were um, feeling, and uh, and that we weren't stressed about money um, from the get go. We were able, we realized this is going to work for us, and um, and so we really worked to support each other. I mean, that first Christmas. Uh, I gave him a sandwich table, and he gave me a chest freezer.
0: <laughs> it's so romantic.
1: <laughs> that was. It was. It was very romantic.
0: That's great. So you know, I know that a lot of families will say, like, we're not going to talk about business at home, or or we're going to do it in this way. Were there any things that, you know, like, deals that you made, or anything that you talked about to protect your marriage and and, and the business partnership?
1: We didn't. We didn't really talk about business that much at home because by the time we got home, we were pretty tired. And uh, Ross's daughter uh, was there. She lived with us full time. And so we had that responsibility as well. And so uh, when we got home, like I would work dinner time usually, uh, and he would go home to be with Chris. And um, so we tried to be very much you know, focused on her uh, in the evenings and stuff once I got home. So there wasn't a lot. We didn't really have to talk about the business at home because we were together all day at work.
0: Right. And so then, in two thousand and five, you decided to open up a second location in Pismo Beach. Talk to me about that decision. You just you saw a need on the other side of town or in another direction. Like what? What made you do that?
1: Well, the second location was actually the one in San Luis. So, oh, okay. um, so the uh, the reason we did that was because our baker. Um, was going to retire. So we had this 70-year-old Swedish woman who baked all of our bread bowls for us. And we had gone through several bakeries in the course of the first um, bunch of years. And uh, she was just a fabulous person. And she was able to meet our needs, which was basically to get Delivery seven days a week and especially on three-day weekends and most of the commercial bakeries they close on Wednesdays and they don't deliver on Sundays and they certainly aren't going to deliver on Sunday of a three-day weekend and we didn't have enough room in the back area of the restaurant to keep all the bread we would need for instance on a three-day weekend so we found this lovely woman who lived uh about 30 miles away and uh and she baked all of our bread bowls for us and they delivered 7 days a week. So about um in 2003, I believe, she came to me and said I I really want to retire her husband had passed away and she wanted to retire and do something else and she was giving me one year notice that she was retiring. So in the course of that year we had to figure out well what were we going to do and we didn't want to be at the mercy of a commercial bakery because it's really still the same problem. We just don't have the room to hang on to that much bread and plus it's not as fresh and all those things. So we came, uh, we started looking for a place to open a bakery. So we were here in San Luis looking uh, just down the street actually from where this location is uh, for a place to just open a bakery when a friend of ours saw us and he actually owns the bed and breakfast next door here. And he's like, what are you guys doing? And we said, oh, we're looking for a place to open a bakery. He goes, well, why don't you buy the place on the corner? And uh, I was like, well, I don't know. Is it for sale? He goes, I don't know. I'll go find out. So he came marching down the street and came into this this location, which was a tiny little uh, burger joint, and asked Yoshi, who was the owner, hey, do you want to sell the business, sell the building? And he said, yeah. So the next day, we were in escrow. It was just uh, a kind of an amazing thing.
0: Divine intervention. So we, uh,
1: <laughs> Yeah, it was. It really was. And so we completely uh, remodeled. I mean, we basically tore the building down. Uh, and then we built this, um, the San Luis building, and of course, by, by, by uh, purchasing the corner location, then we realized, okay, so we need to have another cafe in addition to the bakery. So um, hence the bakery and cafe location.
0: So this, this bakery situation, is that just to feed your business? Or are you now selling outside of your company?
1: No, it pretty much just feeds our business. So we do uh, we do all the bread bowls, which in the summertime can be upwards to two thousand bread bowls a day. So it's a little space. We also do all the pastries for the um, for the uptown and downtown locations, and we do the wedding cakes and cakes for the um, for the bakery case and cookies by the dozens. It's a very very busy
0: uh, bakery. So yeah, so with that bakery, you also brought into the fold another business and and coned with your brother, Mama Ganache Artisan Chocolates. Yeah, that's my So you're just diversifying like passion. crazy. I love it. See, that's what I love. I mean, you just see a need, <laughs> you're like, okay, well, let's start a bakery. Let's start all these things. Like, tell me. So then, tell us a little bit about that business.
1: Well, the chocolate business, uh, that was my brother's passion, and he. Um, he took some time off when he was in college and went to Europe and, uh, worked as a, uh, apprentice chef in Europe. And he was there for a year and a half or so. And then he wound up in Vienna and he learned pastries and all of that. And actually that's where all my pastries, all the formulas for my pastries are all his from Vienna. And that's why when the Europeans come in and they have my croissant, the Danish that we have, they're like, wait a minute this is completely different than anything else they've ever had in the United States. And it's like, well, it's because it's all Viennese style. Nice. But, um, so that, so anyway, so pastries and chocolates and things like that were his passion. He really wanted to get into a fair trade, organic chocolate business. And so I had at the time when we first opened this location, I had room upstairs. I had a, I had designed the building to have a kitchen upstairs. Um, and so he, t- Worked in that kitchen and uh, and created the the Mama Ganache artisan chocolate business, and then that grew to a point where eventually um, he rented rented out a warehouse and a, and we built a um, you know a, a manufacturing facility for him just down the street here, and then he has a lovely little retail store and and uh, makes chocolates all day.
0: See, you know what I love about this is that I want and I want my listeners to really listen to this. This is not just some small mom and pop here. So this is something that started out as kind of this dream to surf and have fun and all of a sudden starts growing and morphing. But the neat thing is that your mind was open to all that, that you were willing to grow and expand and you have the business acumen to make it all happen. And that's where you start to separate yourself from the herd and separate yourself from everyone else. And, it, and you know, a lot of it goes back to this clam chowders. I want I to just talk to you about this for a second because it, from what I understand, I mean, unbelievable, super popular. So... Was there a chowder recipe in place that, you know, when you bought Splash and, and you worked to enhance it, like wh- how did that all come about?
1: Yep, there was actually a chowder. It was, um, there was a very small menu at the, at the location when we first bought the business. And, uh, and she had a chowder and um, I always loved clam chowder. And so we decided we would work on that. And um, so we really worked hard to make it a standout recipe. Clam chowder and not just similar, you know, not just like everybody else's. So um, we use three different kinds of clams. We use fresh vegetables. We use fresh potatoes, um, fresh cream, and it all blends together to create a really um, unique, rich uh, clam chowder.
0: And so do you use more expensive ingredients? I mean, you know, are you still doing well financially by being able to do that? Have you found that that magic formula?
1: Yeah, it works. It's, uh, it's actually very competitive in terms of pricing. We sell the chowder uh, wholesale through U.S. Foods in Southern California, and we are able to uh, provide that to other restaurants at a very competitive price.
0: And so all of this work to create a coveted clam chowder culminates in, in Splash Chowder debuting in California Costco's in 2009. How did that happen? Because that's just a huge step from, I mean, doing it in a small restaurant to now all of a sudden selling to Costco, which, by the way, is not easy. So how did that happen?
1: Well, that happened because uh, Costco was opening here in San Luis Obispo, and so they wanted to have a few local products, so they actually came to us and asked us if we would develop a product for them. And so we got to work on that, and I found a manufacturer in Irvine, because I'm not licensed to do that sort of thing uh plus i don't have the space or the time <laughs> to make chowder for costco so uh so we found a manufacturer and we worked with them with our formula and developed the um the frozen chowder project um for costco and uh that took it took about a year actually to get the packaging together and um and to get exactly how they wanted it and, and um you know get all the kinks ironed out but, uh, but it does very well. We sell it here locally and in uh, Santa Maria, Costco's year-round. And then in the wintertime right now, we sell a lot in uh, Northern California. So we're like in, I think, 20 Northern California Costco's uh, through the winter months.
0: Nice. And so all of this, I mean, so you've, you have a catering division. You have this Costco distribution division. You've got the restaurants. You've got the uh, the bakery. I mean, so now all of a sudden, this is this is becoming much bigger. So, which brings me to to as a leader, like how do you how do you get people on the team to kind of buy into this whole vision? And 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 I know you're distracted because you also you know you've got family, you've got all everything else going on in life. How do you keep everything and everyone moving in the same direction?
1: I think a lot of it's just through communication, just being open and communicating to people. And I'm here a lot, so they see me. I'm not an off-premise owner, and so so I dedicate a lot of my life to this business. And um, and so they see me here. And and I think they, uh, my leadership team respects that. And I give them freedom to. Um, to grow and I keep the reins loose so that they can, you know, learn and grow and, and work on projects and feel um, like they have a big impact. So I think that's a big part, you know, young people want to feel like they have value and, uh, and that they're learning things. And, um, and so I try to uh, keep an eye on that all the time you know if if I feel like somebody could benefit by going to a class then I then I ask them well would you like to go to a cake decorating class you know and and learn how to do more different kinds of cakes or whatever and all those kinds of things and so I really do try to provide uh, education that all kind of comes always back to that I like people to feel like they're growing and that they have impact on whatever it is that their goals are within the structure of the business, and if somebody sees something that they think would be good, then they have, to have the freedom to come to me and like, okay, let's talk about it. What? What? Is, how do you see that? And uh, and then try to let them kind of run with it a little bit, and uh, and see what happens.
0: So, but with you know, but with the Costco relationship, catering division, bakery, you know, pastry chefs, you know, respective teams. How do you, do you do you have monthly meetings, weekly meetings? I mean, how do you communicate with those people?
1: Well, I try to have uh, weekly meetings, at least check ins, uh, with a lot of small groups. So, just like little quick, like, how are you doing? How's this going? How's that going? Uh, and then we do have a monthly meeting where all the managers come together from all of the restaurants and all of the divisions, and we go around in a circle and talk about you know, take like five minutes each to talk about something that we're working on or to bring up a problem that we're having so we can all discuss it um, or a situation or a a wonderful thing that happened, whatever is on their mind. Um, Sometimes we make them thematic, so so I'll send out an email and say, hey, I'd really like to discuss this particular thing I heard about on the news or something that, some new labor law issue that I've that, you know, that we always obviously have to stay, you know, abreast of and then have people bring uh, specific ideas or or discussions about specific things.
0: And so everybody feels like they have a voice, they can talk to you, they can bring up issues or concerns during those meetings, is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, and they build a relationship together. So they each hear each other, you know, so it's not just always one-on-ones. Yeah, no. I think it's important to be, you know, to keep the team and the group together. So, you know, even at different locations, they may not see each other except that one time a month.
0: So when you have this monthly meeting, everyone's there? Yeah,
1: everybody's there.
0: Yeah, that's great. And and is that held in San Luis Obispo or like at a, at a different location? Where is that held?
1: No, it's upstairs here in San Luis.
0: Okay, at the headquarters there. Yeah. So, so do you do do you close the shops down during that period? Is it in the evening or is it an afternoon? I'm just curious because I know that a lot of people listening have businesses and they're always looking for new innovative ideas on how to how to get people together or how to run meetings.
1: No, we don't close. Um, we try and do it kind of at the end of the morning shift and right you know before the, uh, an afternoon or evening shift would begin. So around you know one thirty or two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. That way. We can. The, there's a whole staff that we're here all day, and then other staff that are coming in. Um, management staff, you know, not yes. all staff. Right. Okay. And we do have all staff meetings um, at each location a couple of times a year, and then we'll close early and have that like at eight o'clock at night.
0: Okay. Okay. Great. So, so you know, listen, these are all just fun tricks for for people to to hear, and this show, my podcast, is really about celebrating and showcasing leaders. And business leaders, you know, just solid people who are leading well and, and doing good in their sphere of influence, who create value in society in unique ways. And there's so many different ways to make money in America, you know, from restaurants to gadgets to technology to everything. But how would you, Joanne, describe the role of business in society?
1: I see business as an educator. I I feel like it educates uh, the people who work inside the business it educates the community about the people who work you know the relationship between the customer and the employee is is a learning curve for both sides it teaches people about humanity and especially in small business because you're really face forward and you really have to concentrate on on the spirit and communicating and um I think it's a, it's a, that business in the, in the community is a place of learning and how to be with people and how to respect people and um, how to be a part of a team.
0: You know, I so appreciate you saying that because I truly believe, you know, profit is a byproduct of how well we serve people, how well we solve their problems. And, and to me, the role of business is to create value. And, and as people create value with business, revenue, profits, they'll all come along. But it's it's a result of doing business well, and so I love that whole education mindset of you know expanding leadership, helping others be the best that they can be. You know, they want to be a better cake decorator. Let's teach them how to do that, or give them a class to do that, or support that. So, what does leadership mean to you personally?
1: I think it's an opportunity for me to make a difference in other people's lives, and that's what I really like a lot. I love the staff, and I love the the customers, and I love being able to to be in a position to offer challenges to the staff and to offer growth that's that's really what I like best about being a leader is just the impact you know seeing people grow seeing people Change from somebody who's really quiet and and fearful of making decisions to somebody who can completely control a situation and and can can uh, problem solve on their feet and is a quick thinker and uh, and able to relate to people and and to talk to people that they've met never met before, that, at which would be something that they had never been able to do. So it's um, it's really that's that's where my reward is.
0: And, and I so I feel that in you. And when I first met you, I was like, okay, you know, this is somebody that actually cares not only about the product, not only about the ingredients, but about the people, about everything that's involved with their company. And, you know, I talk about this when I speak, when people feel that and it's real and it has to be real, what do they want to give you? Everything. Because, right. you know, not because they have to, because they want to. And there's a difference. And when you invest in others, great things are going to happen. And, and so what is your personal leadership style or thought, like, how did you develop it? Do you think it's just who you are? Did you watch it through somebody else? Did you learn it from somebody?
1: I think it's primarily just who I am. Um, I always was, um, when I was working for other people, I was always more attracted to businesses that were really active and and where you – you know, you just had a lot going on at once. There was lots of multitasking and just very busy. I was always much more attracted to very busy situations. And I, because I like to control them, I like to organize things. And um, and so that I was just drawn to this style of business.
0: So was there, can you tell me maybe a story in your life when you weren't leading well? Like, how did you realize it? What were the symptoms of less than ideal leadership?
1: I think the time when I would say I was not a good leader was actually reasonably recent. And and it was about, I guess it started a couple of years ago, and I was letting a little bit too much responsibility go to other people. And I I didn't want to micromanage a particular situation. I had a person who was really working two jobs, one job, you know, had grown uh, into being needing to be its own job, you know, basically. So what, so one person was, was working as a dining room manager. It was actually one of the people who works in my catering department. So uh, she was working as a dining room manager and then also in the catering department. And that worked well for quite a long time because catering wasn't as busy. And then as it got busier and busier, that double hat became pretty tight. I kept, you know, I would like say... Hey, I think we need to hire another person. We need to, you know, you know, we need to solve this issue. I see this as a upcoming problem. This person is not, you know, I would talk to the to the person who was really at that time in charge of hiring. I think we're going to have a problem here, and I allowed, I just didn't, I wasn't forceful enough, I guess, or um, just what didn't lead well because I allowed the situation to go on too long. And we definitely had a significant uh, moment where that hat, those two hats became much, much too tight. And so then I had to take charge and it was like, okay, I'm done fooling around and asking you guys to handle this and not wanting to micromanage. I'm now taking over this problem and we're we're going to solve this. And so now we have a different dining room manager and all of a sudden everybody's relaxed and happy again. So it's like, okay. So, but also
0: part of that success. So, so let's let's look at that for a second. Part of that success is you had your finger on the pulse. You were smart enough to realize that there was an issue there, and even though you were, you know, trying to let them handle it, the reality was that there are some business owners that wouldn't even recognize that, or they would say, you know, make it work or get over it or you know deal with it. And I think that that's that's a, you know, testimony to your success and to the, the fact that you care enough to get involved and make sure that things are going the, the way they're supposed to be going. So that's from a leadership side. So was there any significant failure that you've had in in business? Um, You know, what did you learn from it? Anything that, you know, you would do differently moving forward from that?
1: I don't really think I've had any, like, big failures. Um, I feel like I've um, really worked hard. When I take on new projects, I try to, you know, really analyze them first before, you know, uh, committing too strenuously to them, so that I don't run into having kind of failure issues.
0: Because um, I know that I a lot of I've time, had. a lot of time in business, you know, things don't work out as as well as we thought, and that's kind of what I was trying to look for there and see if there was any specific moment. Um, you know, it's interesting. You and I met at Vistage, and you know, I I do think it is important to be involved in something like Vistage. Um, why do you think it is? I mean. What does lifelong learning mean to you? And for those, by the way, for my listeners that don't know, Vistage is a a CEO support group essentially, and they meet. They use each other like a board of directors. They talk about issues and opportunities and everything. and And Joanne is part of that. So, what does lifelong learning mean to you?
1: Well, I think it's a uh, it's incredibly important to uh, be always looking for ways to grow and improve yourself and to participate in things. Vistage, for me, is is a fantastic support group. Um, as a business owner, I've never really had a support group. You know, I belong to Kiwanis and things like that. But um, to actually have a support group that's not necessarily in the same industry, uh, it was just something I never had, and so it's really um, it's really been great for me uh, to listen to other people and to feel like people are there listening to me, and to have the speakers um, are real is really amazing. I've had we've had some great speakers um, that have created a situation where I've been able to bring a lot to back to work, you know, in terms of culture and doing, fu- you know. Um, Keeping everything really positive and, and um, just new ideas, new innovative ideas of how to keep the staff involved and, uh, and positive and having fun together um, has been a big part of um, the listening to the speakers and motivational.
0: So it's funny because I, I've heard actually from some of the CEOs that their, their employees, their managers know when there's a Vistage meeting. Because they always come back and they're like, okay, we're gonna do this differently, we're gonna move in this direction, you know, because you're constantly being challenged to kind of step up your game and and to to be the best that you can be, and to and to really not be mediocre and to and to not get complacent. Cause a lot of times in businesses, you know, if things are going well, if there aren't a lot of failures, if things, you know, we I talk about this when you get when you're in in a competition situation, competitive situation, and you've got that pedal down. All the way, and you get to the top. What's the first thing we do? We take our foot off the pedal, but everybody behind us is pressing down even harder because they want a piece of you. You know, they want to surpass right. you. And so, you know, but that all comes back to that whole leadership side. So, what is the one thing that you think is critical for your company to have a competitive advantage? If you had to say one thing that kind of separates you from from the herd,
1: I think it's the um, the spirit and the culture that we maintain uh, for the customers. And the way that we interact with our customers. I mean, obviously, we're dedicated to quality food. Uh, you can't have a successful restaurant without having quality food. And uh, that clam chowder is a stand apart product that people come from miles around to have, and that's a real blessing. But um, but to really stand out is what people get when they come in the door. It's the it's the vibe. It's you know what's going on um the moment they walk
0: in you know welcome to splash yeah no it 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 matters i mean from the very beginning right till the t- till the time they leave that that feeling that they have and uh you know there are a lot of restaurants out there so a lot of people serving clam chowder you know so you, yep. it, it's it's not just that it's got to be everything together so what what are the most important decisions you make as a leader of your organization do you think it's related to strategy finance or people
1: well all three for sure um, you have to you have to keep your eye on everything. So, but I think you know th- the root is that th- is people primarily.
0: Yeah, you you to. But have
1: finance, root. you know, you can't you can't run your business if you don't know what's going on with the money
0: either. Yeah, no, definitely, all, all three are valuable. I was just curious to which one you thought was a priority. So, let's go back to people for a second. Describe the one trait that you look for in your top people and why. If you had to pick one trait, what would you look for?
1: I would look for um, people with passion, people who have something of interest in their lives that they feel strongly about and, um, and, and are goal setters. That's really the biggest thing for me is people who understand how to set a goal and that they don't have to be gigantic goals, but actually it's better to have small goals because if all your goals are gigantic ones, you're not going to achieve them very often. It's much better to have smaller goals so that you can get that sense of achievement. And that's really such a self-esteem strengthener to feel like, oh, I did this and then I did this. You know, um, that's what I look for in people.
0: So I, first of all, love the passion part. You know, I have a friend who was head of one of the largest restaurant chains in the country. And she was telling me one time, she said, you know, we realize that we are going to be the stepping stone, that this is not what they're going to do their entire life. So we embrace it. We actually embrace it. And we say that do well for us and we we will become your best reference. Like we will support you in your endeavor to move on in your life. And I just love that attitude. It was just an acceptance of kind of the role that they played, but then also the value that they add because people can learn great things when you interact with others and you have to communicate and you have to deal with issues and you have to deal with problems in those tight, you know, rush situations when everything's hectic, especially in a restaurant. Anybody who's worked in a restaurant knows that. That, uh, you know, there's some times when you're down, but there are a lot of times when it's just going all out. And so, you know, our thoughts are, are the best predictor of our actions and our character. So, Joanne, what do you spend your time thinking about?
1: I spend my time thinking about the people around me, how to make a difference in people's lives, and how I impact people and how, my, how they look to me for how their day is going to go and to make sure that um that i'm thinking about what their needs are and how to um make sure that everybody has a great day around
0: me <laughs> i love that that's so good i think we all need to do that more right within our families within our companies with the you know within our teams regardless of where we are in life i think when you start investing in others it's it's like a karma thing and i know we're not supposed to talk about karma in business but you know, when you do the right thing, it's gonna come back to you tenfold, whether you want it to or not. And and if you if Absolutely. it doesn't, who cares, right? You did the right thing. So is there one piece of advice that you would give your twenty year old self and why? I'm just I love this question. If you could look at it
1: <laughs> Just to never give up and uh and always just keep keep going keep growing and keep uh learning and developing and don't ever become stagnant, you know, if you're if you're not growing, then you're dying. It's like go 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 all the time. My dad was a real driven person and uh and I'm very much like him. I really like that about myself and I like taking on new things all the time and I think I've, I was going to advise my 20-year-old self I would just do that like keep going, find new projects, set goals.
0: Reward I love, yourself I, and and reward yourself, right? So how do you reward yourself?
1: Just in uh, you know, a good pat on the back and
0: yeah. You know, oh, I love that to be able to kind job. of accept your success and success and, and move forward. That's that's great. So I love that if you're not growing, you're dying mentality, because a lot of people get comfortable, and you know businesses are rarely just kind of straight line. I mean they're they're kind of headed in the right direction and then it, all it takes is a little course correction in the economy or or something in the market to kind of prove which direction you're headed. But um, so, so I appreciate you bringing that up. Can you for a second share with me a little bit about your family and personal life? Like how do you maintain balance? I know you still work a lot but I mean do you have time for fun and what do you do for fun?
1: I do. I um, I take three days off a week, so I take Wednesdays and and Saturdays and Sundays unless something happens and I need to. I mean, I didn't for the first, you know, fifteen years, but um, but now I do. Um, I try work in the garden at my home. I grow vegetables. That's my fun thing to do. My husband and I try to spend a lot of time together. When I'm not here, I'm definitely we together. And uh, going on hikes or going motorcycling. That's what he loves to do. So uh, we do that. And we see um, our daughter and granddaughter. And uh, that's a lot of fun. But I'm having a lot of fun being a grandma. So that's neat. And uh, and I'm not too worried about balance, honestly. I just uh, I try to be where I am at the moment. So if I'm here at work, then I... Try and be happy and fulfilled here, and when I'm home, then I um, then I love being there.
0: That is such great life advice. I, I I appreciate that because I think there's so much pressure on families these days to you know make sure it's equal time or anything else. Well, you know sometimes that just doesn't exist. I even talk about that in my speeches. I I don't even believe real you know work life balance is real because there was no trust fund for me, which means what you know I have to work. And by the time I get done working and sleeping, there's not that much time left over. So, you know, I even talk about in my speeches, how it's important it is to be present. If they have three hours, give them the best three hours they've ever had, but be there for them, not just, you know, cell phone in one hand, constantly glancing off to the side, the, the the typical, you know, how was your day? Check. You know, how are you, honey? Check. And then go to my, the man cave or wherever else. No, but actually be engaged. So I love that you said that, that that's not even a priority for you, that you you just want to be where you are and enjoy where you are and what a great way to view life. Let me ask you, what would make you more fulfilled today? Anything specifically that you would want to change or that you would do differently?
1: I think more time with the grandkids as they get older is going to be is a big goal for me. It's a big focus that I'm just kind of wrapping my head around. Um, I didn't have any children of my own, and I but I raised my husband's daughter, and, uh, and so having uh, – the idea of grandkids and molding their lives and impacting them and being a positive influence for them I think is a new focus for me and uh, and I'm lo- really looking forward to.
0: I think that's a great goal that everyone could appreciate. So are there any causes that you're passionate about Like, and how do you act on these passions? Are you able to integrate any of those into Splash Cafe?
1: I don't really think have any specific causes that I'm that involved in. What I try to do is I try to support all the various causes that are in our community. And so when people want donations or uh, support for whatever they're working on, then I'm always there. So I'm one of the places that always says yes. And, um, And so I guess my cause is just my community. And that I am very passionate about. I, I really like to support what other people are doing. So, and I've even gotten in trouble about that because I've had one customer say, "I can't believe that you were supporting this other cause that that person didn't believe in." You know, I mean, it was just kind of one of those weird uh, situations. And I just said, you know, I, I support everybody. I support all the school clubs. I support all the different events that are happening. If a customer asks me, for a gift card or for cookies, for an event, I always say yes. So when you have your event, I'll, I'll support yours. And it's not, it's not a personal um, – I'm not personally involved in whatever it is. So it's really my community that I have the most passion about.
0: Well, I, I, think, that's, I think that's a great uh, mindset. I have to tell you that um, I met a woman one time in, in Florida – and she was you know, very successful family. Um, they had a lot of resources to give, and they gave generously. So I called her one day, and her answering machine picked up. And she was an older woman. I thought it was so funny. She said, she said um, thank you for calling. If you're calling to ask for money, um, we've already given to the many groups that we love. But if you are a good group, go ahead and leave a message because I'll consider it. I thought... I just found that so hilarious that she's like listen we already give however if you are a group and you're giving us something that I may be interested in please leave your message she just <laughs> couldn't say no and so you know that that mindset it's so giving and and I'm sure that's what endears other people to you is that it's not just you know talk you're actually doing it and you're investing in these people and you're investing in the product and you're believing in your community and all these other things so um so again that came from somewhere is is there someone who had a significant impact on you as a leader? Can you describe that person, why they impacted you in your life?
1: I think the person who impacted me the most was really my father. Um, he was just a very strong, he was a very strict person. He was born in Germany, who definitely had a autocratic view of the family. Um, but at the same time, he was just highly driven. He was fun. He was fair. He spent good time with the family although you know certainly wasn't balanced um but that wasn't important to him it was it was his his work was his passion and he gave it everything and he had high achievement and then when he came home he was all about the family and and all about my mother and treated her very well and uh and he he was just um he was, he was always your, you know, your number one fan.
0: Yeah, that, that matters. And, and to watch how he treats the family and everything else. Um, I have a lot of guests who say their dad was a big influence or, or, you know, a parent was. And I like hearing that it's a good reminder to me and to uh, maybe a lot of our listeners just the impact that we have on our families. And, 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 and that's done by being engaged, you know, by being present. And, and, and they're always watching, aren't they? Um, I think it's important for all of us to try to be that person for our families. So leaders also ought to look for opportunities to bring others along in their journey. Is there someone you mentor? Do you consider your employees in that regard? Like how did that come about if that's a situation?
1: I definitely have a few employees uh, present and past that I've mentored and been very involved in their lives. Um, several employees that haven't worked for me for years are still a big part of my life and I still connect with on a regular basis and um, am always there to provide an listening, you know, an ear, uh, problem-solving, a second opinion, um, or to just be there to celebrate some wonderful thing that they've achieved. And um, and I really have really like that. I like the fact that I, I still, you know, once in a while I'll still get together and go out to dinner with somebody that worked for me 20 years ago because they're still a part of my life. Or I, you know, they invite me over or they, you know, have a, had a baby and, and I'm, you know, Grandma Joe. And, uh, and it's just really, um, really special.
0: Well, you certainly earn that place in their lives, and, and you do it by investing in people like you, you've talked about you know this entire interview, and, I, and you can feel that. So in that same vein, in my speeches, I ask my audience to answer the question. You know, how do you want your children to describe you to their children? And you, know, what will your legacy be? So Joanne, right now, in your wildest fantasy, how would you want to be described? What will your legacy be?
1: I would want to be described as a supportive, caring person who was fun, but mostly a great listener and someone who they could trust completely.
0: Well, you can't argue with that and what a what a great way to be described and you know but there's also I can tell so much more to you from the you know just I mean you feed people I think you feed them not just with food but with you know with knowledge and 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 compassion and empathy and and all those things and and again like I said and I'll say it again that when they feel that they just they they want to be part of it because a lot of people and my listeners should really hear this a lot of people may not get that at home. And so we, as leaders, get to be that person, that caring person. And and when it's real, when it's heartfelt, when you know, when it's when there's passion behind it, I really believe the sky's the limit because that's how you build great teams. That's how you you know motivate people to be the best that they can be. And you help them right. in that journey. So, and first, they could
1: describe me as a great cook, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think that's an understatement. I mean, it sounds like things are going fantastic. And, you know, it, it's ingredients, but it's also, you know, it's it's knowing it's knowing how to take that to the next level. Because you can have a great recipe, and there are a lot of people out there who have great recipes, I'm sure. But it's then being able to turn that into a viable business, not just even a hobby, but a business where you're actually making money and you're, you're – You employ people and their families and help them pay their mortgage and and send the kids to ballet and soccer. I mean, there's, there's value in that. That's what makes America great. And so, Joanne, thank you for that. Thank you for investing in others. Thank you for being such a great leader. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. And I just wish you continued success and really appreciate you taking your time with me today.
1: Well, thank you. It was wonderful.
0: Listeners, my team and I are working on some fun and exciting things coming from the Quiggle Group so stay tuned for that. It's coming. In the meantime, though, please be sure to subscribe to Garage to Goliath in iTunes or SoundCloud. Don't just listen, subscribe. Subscribing helps others find the show. Please also leave an honest review. Your reviews help me get better as a host and help make this show better for you. And I'd be so grateful to you if you'd share this podcast with others on social media or send a quick email or text about the show to another leader you think would enjoy the podcast and that it would encourage them on their leadership journey. You can help me get the word out by sharing the podcast so that we can continue to build our leadership legacies together. Thank you.